0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: This woman uh, we know is the Apostate Harlot Church. It's called a harlot church because she's committed spiritual adultery. Instead of having Jesus Christ as her, her Lord and Savior, she has chosen anything, anything goes.
0: I am holy. And welcome to our Bible study for today. The harlot rides the same beast with seven heads and ten horns that was previously seen in Revelation 13, verse 1. The Antichrist and his dictatorship. Her position, that of riding the beast indicates on one hand that she is supported by the political power of the beast and on the other that she is a dominant role and at least outwardly controls and directs the beast. Her association with blasphemy and the dragon's beast are clearly seen from God's perspective. But to the people of the earth, she will look quite religious and have the faith everybody wants." Now, here's Pastor Rob.
1: Uh, Let's go ahead and open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. This is really an amazing chapter, and there's a lot to talk about today. And Revelation chapter 17 and 18 really talk about uh, Babylon in the last days, and specifically, chapter 17, we believe, is really uh, well, let me back up. 17 and 18 are what we call parenthetical chapters, which means that they're, they're chapters that are put in the, in, the, in the book here, but they're not necessarily chronological, meaning we just finished the bold judgments. And you recall in the sixth bold judgment that it talks about, I'm sorry, the seventh bold judgment, it talks about uh, God judging Babylon, and the very next thing, after the judgment of Babylon, uh, prophetically, is Jesus coming back to the earth in his second coming, which we'll get to in chapter 19, specifically in verse 11. So these two chapters, 17 and 18, really give us some information on, on, on the destruction of Babylon. And specifically, chapter 17 will show us the harlot church, this church that is, is a, an apostate church, It's a church that's going to be in existence after the real church, you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, born again of the God's Spirit, When we are removed from the earth, the Bible says that there's going to be, perhaps, a. a, we don't know exactly how much time it's going to be, but at some point there is going to be a treaty that the man of lawlessness, who we, we term the Antichrist, he's going to be a politician, and he's going to allow the Jews, he's going to make a covenant or a treaty with the nation of Israel to build their temple on the Temple Mount. And there may be some time between the rapture and when that actually occurs. But once that treaty is signed and is in place, the Bible tells us, and we've been reading about it through chapters 6 through 19, there is a timetable, and it's seven years, seven-year period of when God is going to begin pouring out His wrath upon a world that has rejected His Son, that has rejected His offers of salvation and has spurned His forgiveness. But this harlot church... This apostate church will be very prevalent in the first half, the first three and a half years of that great tribulation period. And if you recall, rate right midpoint of this seven-year period... There is going to be, the, the Antichrist is going to put an image of himself in the temple. And at that point is really where chapter 17 really comes into play. Because before he does that, he has to literally destroy or do away with this harlot church, the apostate church. In other words, called the woman or the harlot that we're reading about in Revelation 17. He has to get rid of her. And we'll talk about why in just a few, in just a little while. But he has to get rid of her so that he can place himself on the throne, and he will be the one that's worshipped. Does that make sense? You have to, he's he's going to use this woman. He's going to use the apostate church up to a certain point, and then when her usefulness has uh, when she's no longer useful to him, she and the 10 kings with I'm sorry, he and the 10, 10 kings with him will destroy her, will make her void. Um, And we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like, but it's going to be, he's going to destroy her, whatever that means. Um, And so, and then chapter 18 is really what we're looking at in the second half of the tribulation period, specifically in this, perhaps in this seventh bowl judgment that we looked at a few weeks ago. That judgment is going to be fleshed out, if you will, in chapter 18. We're going to see the ecclesiastical Babylon, which is chapter 17, and then the political and economic Babylon, which we will look at in chapter 18. But why don't we go ahead and look at the chapter? We looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, and so what I thought we'd do is just read those first two verses, and we'll get right into this. Now, the nice thing about this study and, and, and the services that we do is they are available online. After they are streamed, they're available Up there for uh, over a year, okay? So please uh, take advantage of that because I'm going to be moving along pretty quickly because there's a lot in this chapter. And um, I don't want to, I'd like to finish it today if we can, but I don't want to force it. But if there's anything that you need to go and review, please go online uh, to our website and you can review any service we've done here at the church over the last year. You can yeah, um, you can listen to it. You can listen to it again. You can get it on our, on our podcast on Apple, um, Apple Podcasts. You can get the, the services there as well to review. But let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 1 of Revelation 17. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, John speaking, saying to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Boy, that sounds really interesting. Show you the judgment of the great harlot. Boy, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That's great news. I say that tongue-in-cheek. So, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now notice in verse 3, we pick up there today, it says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, on a scarlet beast which... Was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. This woman, uh, we know as the apostate harlot church. It's called a harlot church because she's committed spiritual adultery. Instead of having Jesus Christ as her, her Lord and Savior, she has chosen anything, anything goes. Any religion, it's sort of like going into Baskin-Robbins or wherever it is. You know, you got 55 flavors, whatever it is. You've got many flavors to choose from, and that's what the church is going to look like after the true church has been raptured before the Great Tribulation period. And so she's a harlot. She's basically doing anything, and anything goes at this point, as long as it's not about Jesus. Do you know the devil loves the fact that there's Hinduism? He loves the fact that there's Buddhism. He loves the fact that there's Jehovah's Witnesses. He loves the fact that there is Mormons. He loves the fact that there is all kinds of New Age movements because all of those religions are not focused on the biblical Jesus. They have a, new, a Jesus of their own if they have one at all. But the Bible says that he is God. He is God. And there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And so this woman is the harlot church, and she's sitting on a scarlet beast. And we looked at this beast, and we'll look at it more today. This beast is not only a physical human being whom we call the Antichrist or the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, however you want to call him, but he's also symbolic of a revived Roman empire that's going to be on the earth that's actually in shape right now, believe it or not. It's already in the works. It's been in the works. And when the church is removed... This revived Roman Empire in Europe is going to take shape once again, and he is going to be the one who's going to rule over the whole thing eventually. So that is the Scarlet Beast. The Scarlet Beast is not only the man, but it's also the revived Roman Empire. And it's interesting, if you look at the position here, the woman is sitting on the Scarlet Beast. That means that the woman is not only supported for a season, and we'll see this at the end of the chapter, but she's also somewhat in control of the beast until he the Antichrist, the beast, until he ultimately destroys her with the ten kings. And like I said, we're going to see that in verses 16 through 18. So this woman is the ecclesiastical power, and this beast that she's riding on is the political power of the Antichrist, of the revived Roman Empire. And so... And this scarlet beast is what we call an amalgamation or a combination of the beasts of world history spoken to us in Daniel chapter two, um, uh, Daniel chapter two and chapter seven. I would encourage you to read those two chapters as you read this chapter, and I think it will make some sense. I've spent a great deal of time praying and looking over these chapters, and it's become clearer and clearer to me. And uh, it's it's a really wonderful uh, study to undertake. You just got to be patient and and look into it and make sure all the things uh, line up. And so when we look at this beast, though, it is um, uh, this final beast that we're looking at in the Antichrist. is going to be a combination, really, of... The beasts that were before him, the the kingdoms, the world kingdoms, the empires that were on the earth, and we know that the one of them was Babylon, and in Daniel chapter two and seven it talks about these these beasts, these different kingdoms, and the kings that oversee them. Babylon, he he, he was uh, he coincided with the lion and the head of gold, and Daniel or a Nebuchadnezzar statue that he had a dream of, and then secondly, the Medes and the Persians uh, was. Um, was in the likeness of a bear and, and, the, and the and silver in the head of or that figure that Nebuchadnezzar had to dream of. and Greece was the third uh, Roman or not Roman empire. <laughs> Greece was the third empire represented by the leopard and the brass and Rome, this dreadful beast that we're looking at as um, and also the iron mixed with clay. These are really two phases. If you recall, during John's time, during Jesus' time, the Roman Empire was in full swing, and that was the first phase. The second phase of this Roman Empire, this revived Roman Empire, is yet to come on the scene. It's already in place, and it's just kind of lying dormant. Lying dormant, but at the right time, it's going to to come to life again. It was dead. It was. It was dead or was not, and then it is going to yet be. Remember that, because that's interesting. And so, and we also see in Revelation 13, remember when we were there uh, a a few months ago, or about a month ago, I suppose, we talked about the Antichrist, this beast of, of the sea, and in the very first verse, what does it say? Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. There we go. Same beast that we're talking about right now in chapter 17 was also in chapter 13. Same personage. And notice in verse 4 back in our text, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Gold, purple, scarlet all of these things speak of wealth and royalty. And the pomp and the glitz of, and the gold and the really extravagant vestments that are all characteristic of not only the Roman Catholic Church but also Eastern Orthodox Church and many Protestant churches, for that matter, they are all here in this apostate church, this woman who is arrayed in all these fine things, very, very wealthy, wealthy. Uh, Back in 1952, and this this goes back a long way compared to where we're at today, so I'd imagine this is even... Uh, the, the church that i 'm going to be speaking of is even more lucrative now than it ever was, but back in one thousand nine hundred and fifty two there was a gentleman by the name of J j van gorder who stated that a survey showed that the Roman Catholic Church maintained in the united states three hundred and thirty seven seminaries two hundred and thirty eight colleges one thousand five hundred and ninety six high schools seven thousand seven hundred and seventy seven elementary schools three hundred and forty eight orphan asylums seven hundred and thirty one general hospitals and 110 special hospitals, 244 homes for the aged. And this was back in 1952. I don't know if anybody's taken on a similar survey today, but I would imagine that it's even greater, much greater than that. Much greater than that. I would encourage you as we go forward in here, there's two books that uh, if you're into this kind of thing, which I am, I don't know if you are, but... um, There's a couple of books I'd highly recommend, and that is uh, Dave Hunt, uh, A Woman Rides the Beasts, he kind of holds to the fact that Rome is this harlot church, and I believe that Rome is part of it, and maybe the most significant part of it, but it's going to be not only just Roman Catholic in nature, but it's also going to include all the um, apostate Protestant churches and New Age movements. They're all going to be amalgamated or combined into this one harlot church at the end, but he really gives some compelling evidence that Rome is behind all of this, and I believe he's true. I believe he's right. And there's also another book by Alexander Hislop called The Two Babylons. It's not a real easy read, but it goes into the deep foundations of Babylonianism and how it has infiltrated the Catholic Church and has really, um, and even some of the things that they do today and some of the visual things that they have, it all has its foundation back in Babylon. It's really quite fascinating. It's really quite fascinating. But look at verse 5 back in our text now. It says, And on her head, notice, was a name, a name was written. Notice, very carefully, mystery, comma, Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. This word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, and it's a noun and not an adjective. It's a noun, it is not an adjective, Most people have always said, Mystery Babylon, as if mystery is describing Babylon, but that's not the way it is. Notice that even in the New King James Version or the King James Version, there is a comma there. It is a noun not describing Babylon. So it is a mystery, but it is not Mystery Babylon. It's just a mystery. And in the Bible, Babylon is never given the title, Mystery Babylon the Great. It is never given that ever. In fact, in Revelation, in this same uh, verse in the New American Standard Bible, what does it say? It says, And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, comma, and then the title, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, etc. It says the same thing in the uh, uh, English Standard Version. And on her head was written a a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of the earth's abominations, we also look in the NIV, we see something very similar. The name of, on her was written, a mystery. It was on her forehead was a mystery. And the title, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. So Babylon the Great, Great Babylon, or the great city Babylon is mentioned six times in the book of Revelation, but never Mystery Babylon the Great. Does that make sense? And that's important because... Um, we'll we'll look at that in a minute. But there's six times it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. It's mentioned in Revelation 16, verse 19. In other words, these titles, Babylon the Great or Great Babylon or the Great City Babylon. It's also mentioned in 17, verse 5, which is where we're at now. In Revelation 18, verse 2, verse 10, and verse 21, they all give these titles, but never Mystery Babylon the Great. It's not meant to be a mystery. I mean, it is a mystery, but it's something that is revealed to us. I mean, is the, is the book of Revelation, the very title of the book, Apocalypsis, means an unveiling, not a concealing. So think about that as we come to this. It's not meant to conceal. It's meant to reveal who this is. The source behind this apostate church, this harlot church. And what is the source? It's Babylon. Babylon. When the Bible says Babylon, it means Babylon, with only one maybe exception, in First Peter chapter five verse thirteen, where Peter was in Rome actually, and so was um, so was John Mark, and he said, "She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you," and so does Mark, my son. And Peter was in in Rome in prison at the Mamertine prison. I was actually able to visit that in nineteen ninety. But that's where he was. So, Babylon in that verse specifically could be a code name for Rome, and it's very possible. Because later on in history, Babylon did become a code name for Rome. But in here, and especially when we get into chapter 18, Babylon is Babylon. Take the Bible literally, unless it lends itself and reveals that itself that it's speaking of something else. Like a woman sitting on many waters, you know that that's symbolic, right? Because a woman can't sit on many waters, neither can a man for that matter, even a very large man, right? So you know in context what that's all about. And Babylon is the the second most named city in the Bible, appearing some 290 times. The only one that trumps that is Jerusalem, which occurs over 800 times. And so Babylon meant Babylon. It meant Babylon. In the second century, uh, Tertullian, who was a, one of the church fathers, and again, um, late in the second century, he used the name Babylon as a code name for Rome. But prior to that, it meant, it meant Babylon. It meant Babylon. And so, what we're looking at here in chapter 17, when he says mystery, a mystery, Babylon the Great, he's talking about Babylon. He's talking about the very beginnings, the foundations of Babylon. <clears throat> and again, it is a mystery because where is the foundation of this? Where did it all come from? And where is it going? I think it's very interesting that really the beginning of pagan religion, the very beginning of humanism, the very beginning of it all came. On that plain in Shinar, after the flood. Nimrod, we'll see later on, built this place in Genesis chapter 10. They began building it in Genesis chapter 11. And ultimately, at the end of all things, God is going to allow that city to be rebuilt again. And it's going to be the headquarters for this Roman Empire, this revived Roman Empire with the Antichrist at the helm. But it is a mystery, in Colossians, it speaks about this idea of a mystery. And again, a mystery is something that is now revealed that was previously hidden from us, that we didn't quite understand. And in fact, Colossians 1.26, it says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And he gives the mystery here. Here's the mystery. Christ in you. The hope of glory, that was the mystery. The church being indwelt by the Spirit of God, that was completely unknown to the, to the Jews. Even the prophets, they're, they're, they're writing things and they don't quite understand. But that was a mystery that was concealed then, but has now been revealed in the name of Christ, whom by his Spirit has indwelt us. Aren't you glad you're indwelt by the Spirit? I don't know, are you? <laughs> yes, we are. I am so blessed to be a Christian. So blessed, and you should be too. Rejoice in the King of Kings. Rejoice in the one that loves you with an everlasting love. Rejoice in the one who gave everything for you. He hasn't withheld any good thing from you, and he never will. And I'm so thankful for him. But notice this: the interaction between the beast and this woman is a mystery. This apostate church and this unholy Revived Roman Empire? What could they possibly do together? That That is a mystery as well. And the title shows the origin of the woman's religion, where she gets this apostate religion. She is the progenitress, if I can use that term, of everything that is anti-Christian. Everything that is anti-Christian is found in this apostate harlot woman. So she calls herself in verse 5 the mother of harlots. Notice, she's not just a harlot, she is the mother. She's the progenitress of harlotry. And the only place that we know where that originally came forward was in, or began, was in Babylon. In Babylon, it all happened there. And notice that John doesn't.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation.